0: All right, so like, Last week's message, we talked a lot about vision, we talked a lot about um, the various ways that we're pursuing the mission that we have in 2024 to be to be people who are just full of the presence of God because that's like our inheritance as children of God. Like that's our calling as the church to go out and to be people who are enjoying and remembering and partaking of the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like we cannot neglect seeking his presence as people. We talked a lot about that last week. We talked a lot about how um, we are to be disciples. We are seeking to be formed into the likeness of Christ, not content with how we are and just getting by because we are invited into so much more. Christian maturity is to look like Jesus, and we're called to be disciples, which are people who are becoming more like Jesus. Don't ever settle for less than that. Please don't ever settle for less than that. Let's not be a church who settles for less than that. Let's lean into what God has. We talked about that, and we talked about also that we're going to be a church that's on mission. You know, we want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see um, how that works out. And, you know, we're going to do some things in this upcoming year, you know, just try some things out, and I think some of it will be fruitful. But like I said last week, the most powerful source of mission, the driver of mission in the church is you being formed into Christ-likeness. It's your life that you live amongst your friends, amongst your coworkers, um, amongst your family, and them seeing like, man, God is doing something in this person, and this person is just becoming more, more loving, more sanctified, if we want to use a church word, right? More full of the power of the Spirit, more demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. There's nothing more powerful than that. We can, be a, we can be a church that is good and competent at outreach, yes, like as an institution, but you guys and the Holy Spirit at work in you, that's the greatest thing that we have. That's the greatest, most powerful missional tool we have available to us. And so, just wanted to wrap that up for you guys. And you'll, if you watched, um, you might be a little nervous uh, because there's some bricks here. Um, if you watched last week's message, you know that some things got smashed I smashed my cell phone, my, my, my smartphone, and now I have what my, the sophomores that I teach at Summit call my prison phone. <laughs> said, is that a prison phone? I'm like, I don't know what that is, but no, it is not a prison phone. It's a phone. It makes phone calls, you know, just as cool. Um, <clears throat> they didn't believe me. Um, so I'm not gonna smash anything today, but we did talk a little bit about um, walls, right? We talked about walls, and this idea of walls, resonated with many of you. I heard a lot of people, more so than, much more so than average, people like reach out and say, hey, that was like a helpful concept. Um, and so I want us to spend some more time over the next couple weeks thinking about this idea of walls. Um, because like my thing and what I like to do in the new year is I like to think about spiritual development. I really that's like that's like my my passion, and I give myself permission to just go on out and talk to people about how do you grow up into Christ and moving through walls. I think is an essential part of that. Um, we we uh, this this concept of walls like has helped me to understand my own spiritual life, like because I'm seeing how the Lord is using this um, stage of hitting walls, frustrations, and difficulties in in my life to actually shape me and form me into into Christ-likeness. So I just want to recap a minute um, to to, to, to clarify what I mean by by talking about walls. So last week we we talked about this model of spiritual growth. I think I've got it up here, right? Um, That Janet Hagberg and Robert Gwelich—probably wrong, sorry, Robert— um, develop in this book, Critical Journey. And, and, I, and it's really just like, it's just this pro- progress that we go through as Christians, right? Um, it begins with this first stage, like recognizing who God is, the recognition of God. I mean, that's that's conversion. That's us coming in and taking steps towards God. It's hearing the gospel in belief, right? We understand this. But one thing to pay attention to in this model is at the very end, what these people uh, present as the, the, the fullness of the Christian life, you know, like, like the ultimate goal to which we're, we're going is a life of love, right? I think it's important to consider that, like we begin with a recognition of God and we are called to a life of love. That is maturity, well-defined, a life of love. And I, I think it's important for n- to us to know that, like, the, 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 where we're ending up on this spiritual journey, pursuing God, obeying him, being disciples, being sanctified, is towards being coming people who love and who love well, who love God well, who love others well. This is what we're called to. I mean, and Paul knew this, right? You probably recognize First Corinthians uh, 12 and the beginning of 13, Paul says this, I will show you a more excellent way. That's, that's like some, some strong language, the mo- more excellent or the most excellent way. He says, "...if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing." And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. See, what Paul explains here, and he's laying out to the Corinthians, he's challenging them on their love, right? Because they've been growing in a lot of different areas, but the love, what Paul's trying to spark and to encourage them to is to love. Because all, here, here, what Paul makes clear is, is that there's a lot of good things on the road to Christian maturity. There's, there's spiritual power, spiritual gifts, the Lord at work in you, like supernaturally using you and, and giving you, you know, you and the, and the rest of the church around you, like, like just works for the sake of ministry, works for the sake of evangelism, right? There's, there's lots of understanding on the path to Christian maturity, rightly so. We come in to understand things that we didn't know before. We come to understand what, uh, what, what, the, what life is really like. We, we come to understand the Bible better and what God calls us to, very important and good part of Christian maturity. We, we, we're called to faith. We're to called to grow in faith, really essential part of Christian maturity. So many churches focus so much on faith and as they should, like faith matters, right? We're called to, like Paul goes on, called to serve the poor to give what we have away for the sake of those who, who are lost and those who are hurting and those who are broken. This is good. This is right. This is the path to maturity goes through these things. We're even called to take a stand in a dark culture to the point where there might be some pain or you pay the price for it. He says, I give my body to be burned. Like There might be persecution on the road to Christian maturity, but he makes it really clear. That all of those things being good need to have their right place in the context of what's really going on in the maturing of the Christian. Those who are without love miss the whole thing. You can do all these good things. These good things are important to maturity. But without love, none of this profits you. All of this stuff is contributing to our growth in love. So it makes sense to me that the goal of the Christian life is this life of love. It's what we need most. And I think it's interesting, like, as I think about this model, and I, I just really love models. I, I hope that isn't boring to you, but, right, I love it because love propels us through each of these stages of discipleship. Growing love, growing love of God and growing love of others. I mean, we enter into stage one, this recognition of God. When we do that, we we, we come to recognize God because we get a glimpse of his love. Because the gospel is this message that Jesus Christ loves you. He doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't care about the things that you've done, but he has taken care of the things that you've done. He's forgiven you of sin. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that uh, that one lay down his life for his friends. And the gospel is this good news that we, while we were still enemies with God, are recipients of God's love. His grace is offered to us. He says, I can be your friend. I want to show you great love that I have for you so much so that I'm going to take all of this shame and all this guilt, I'm going to take it away, and I am going to adopt you into my family, and I'm going to trust you where you don't deserve it, and I'm going to love you where you don't deserve it, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take care of you like you don't deserve, and we respond to this crazy message given in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross, and we just say, oh yeah, that's love, and I want that, and I understand that's love for me. It becomes personal. We come to recognize God. We don't just understand who God is, like facts about God. We understand he is is love, and he demonstrates love for us on the cross, and that is love for us. It is meaningful love, and so we recognize that and we respond. That's how we get into stage one. We see his love, and we respond in faith and in love towards him. We just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to let your love given draw me into relationship with you. And then we go on to this second stage of faith, the life of discipleship, and we're propelled in by love. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's pretty simple. I've done all this stuff for you, and I'm telling you there's something better for you. And so not from obligation, but from love, from responding to my love, just like keep my way, keep my commandments. Live a certain kind of life. Because I love you, and I know what's good for you, and I care for you. In this second stage of discipleship, we're growing in our love for God, and we, are, um, we make changes to our lives. To be, like, remain in, abide in, to use John fourteen fifteen language. We make changes to our lives so that we can be more a part of, more loving of God, and, and, and receive more of what he has for us. We recognize in this second stage of discipleship that there are things that we do, ways that we live our life that are just inconsistent with the commands that Jesus has given us. And so we, from love, we put things down. We turn away from our sin. We turn from the things that Jesus told us are bad, like greed, like selfishness, like pride, like sexual immorality, Like these stuff that Jesus was like, hey, let me me just make it clear. You're like, you're just killing yourself, and this is awful, and it's just ruining your life. I have a better way for you. And so trusting in Jesus and putting our faith in Jesus, we make choices, right? We make choices to live a different kind of way. There's a lot of choices in this first stage. It's all about making choices. You engage your will, and you choose to love God more than you choose to love the other things in your life. The other things, the temptations that you have, right? And it's a battle, it's difficult. I'm not saying that it's, oh, it's just, you just make a choice. Like, they're hard choices, but they're choices, honestly. Don't wanna get drunk, don't drink. That's a choice, right? Obviously, that's more complicated for an alcoholic, right? There's layers of complexity to the choices we make not trying to flatten out things, but largely in these early stages, my point is this, largely in these early stages, we're just making choices. We're making choices. Sometimes those choices get harder. The further we go along, the harder the choices we have to make are. And then so, like, we, we start to live our lives, this, this way of discipleship. We start to just, like, you know, pursue the Lord. We start to learn to pray, and then we start to get plugged into church, and, and we enter into what... what, what uh, Hagberg calls stage three the productive life. Um, I can think of John like 13, 34 through 35. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I've loved you, that you've also loved one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, as we enter into stage three, we start to realize, I love the Lord, like I'm giving my life to him more and more, and it's good, and he loves me, and like we're in this relationship again, but he also tells me this, that I need to love other people, and so we enter into a productive life, it's a life of serving people, right? And you know, you know like you plug into a church, and you start to like get discipled, like the next thing you're gonna be asked is, hey, come on, like, like serve, and that's good, because that's part of your maturing, you have to serve. In order to grow, because you're called to love other people. And so in this stage, we are just busy for Jesus, right? We get busy for Jesus. We're doing things. We're doing lots of things. It's fun. It's exciting. And it's good. Like, this is good. This is part of the road to maturity, and you are recognizing that you're choosing love. You're saying, I'm going to prioritize the kingdom. I'm going to seek the kingdom first. I'm going to do the things that God calls me to do before I'm going to do other things. And you're making choices. You're starting to live a new life, and you're being productive to, uh, for the kingdom. But you'll notice in this model, and I've experienced this to be true, and I think many people who have, who have walked with Jesus for a long period of time start to notice this is true, that you're only halfway there at that point, right? There's more to go. And, you know, I first heard about this model from John Mark Comer. This is the thing, guys. Um, I just think of myself as um, the wish version of John Mark Comer. All right? So if wish is like the website you go on and you buy fake things. You can just knockoffs, right? So I'm just wish John Mark Comer. So I'm not even ashamed of it anymore. Like, I just have learned a lot from John Mark Comer. And if you're just like, if you just want him to be your pastor, great. He doesn't pastor anyone anymore. So sorry, you can't do that. So wish John Mark Comer. Here I am. Um. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. Totally fine with it. Um, <laughs> there's a, his book is right there. Just go read that. <laughs> it's, it's really good. But read the Bible first, actually. That'd be better advice. Okay. You're halfway through here at this point. John Mark Comer points out that, like, in these first three stages, like, the American church is really good at these first three stages. Like, most of our churches are are are, are built around just getting people, you know, getting people saved getting them discipled a little bit, and then getting them serving. And then after that, honestly, we don't really have much advice for people. But guys, we're only halfway there. There's so much more to following Jesus, right? And people who have gone through the road to maturity will, will know that. They've seen that, right? A lot of people can get there on their own without the help, and that's awesome. But I'd like to be a church where we really help people get over through into these other stages, right? Into a deeper inner life with the Lord because you're only halfway there when you're in this life of service. The next stage, at least according to this model, is I think where things get really interesting. See, like you can go through these stages and you can be a Christian for a long time, like a, a decade, maybe even more, and you can be really satisfied in stage three, like I'm just serving people, I'm happy, but I think what most people experience over time is we start to have some nagging questions and we start to get a little frustrated. We start to say, things like is there more is there more to my walk with jesus than you know knowledge about god maybe a a passable prayer life like maybe i'm growing. like we all know we need to grow more in prayer like is there more to than just serving to giving like what else is is beyond there and we start to ask these questions and maybe it's a long time maybe it's a short time but but um we start to long for more, and we begin to recognize that, uh, like, though we're doing all the things, we're doing all the right stuff, and, and like, for the most part, to the best of our ability, right? Well, that's okay. To the best of our ability, we're giving our lives to God, but we say, I think there's just some more, and I don't know how to find that more. Like, I don't know how to identify things that I can give Jesus more than what I've already done, because I've done the things I've been asked. So, like, what else is there? And I think this sense of longing and frustration, it drives me, it drives us to seek and understand what's going on. And so, so we get a little angsty and we start to get before the Lord and we're just like, like hitting some things. And we get on this inward journey and we're asking, Lord, Lord, show me my heart. Show me what's really in here because I feel like there's some things. Even though I feel like I'm told I'm doing all the things, I'm checking all the boxes and that's good. Box checking is good. That's how you start. But then I'm just noticing that there's just some pushback even inside my own heart. There's things happening within me and I don't know. And I need to like pray the prayer like along with David. Lord, search my heart, like see if there's any wicked way in me because I don't, I don't see it anymore, but I think there might be something in me. It's just not, it's not like vibing with you for all the young people. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going with you, Lord, Right? And it's at this point, the creators of this model, they point out that we, what we do is we, we turn inward and we begin to ask the Lord, like, show me what's in here. And what God will do inevitably over time is that he will allow us to hit a wall, a wall. And it's a great thing. We will get to a point of frustration or maybe even just like deep doubt or cynicism, or we'll be like on the verge of giving up or walking away or just saying, I'm just going to resign myself. I'm going to make myself happy with what I have, and I just, I'm not, I'm not going to hope for more or expect more from the Lord. We get to these walls, and we just like, we cannot see how we can progress any further because everything that we're told doesn't work, and like it seems like on the outside, even from, even from my own perspective of my own inner life, that things are fine, but I can just sense there are things that are not great. Janet Hagbird, the lady who developed this model, describes what a wall could look like. She says this, One of the surest signs of an invitation to the wall is of repeated struggles with the same type of issue, repeated patterns over long periods that now seem to get worse or come to a head, spiritual crises, chronic family issues, job loss. You know, some of these things are just things that happen to you circumstantially. Um, repeated stresses, addictions, mental illness, total loss of faith, chronic physical symptoms, leaving several churches or ministers who are not meeting our needs or noticing the same type of people showing up in our lives. What she's she's saying, and I think it's right, is that in the end, as we we pursue the Lord into, into maturity, we will hit some walls and they can look like a lot of things, but they function in the same way. They end up being points of frustration, points of difficulty, which force us to look inside even more and, and, and to seek the Lord. Um, it can look different to different people, but each of us, as we move into like the second half of our life with Jesus, these st- deeper stages of maturity towards a life of love, is going to have to deal with a wall. I'm, I'm absolutely like convinced that this happens to everybody. Um, I think a really good illustration of someone hitting a wall in the Bible is in Matthew 19. Um, So we're just going to spend the rest of our time here just looking at this. This is, um, well, this and the accountant Mark call this the rich young ruler, right? So you've maybe been familiar with this. But I would say this is the man hitting the wall. That's what this is, in my opinion. Okay, so I'm just going to read you this passage. Uh, You might be familiar with it. You might not. Um, So let's just jump in. Just then... Someone came up to him, up to Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus responded, Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, There's only one who's good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He asked. And Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man responds, I've kept all of these. The young man told him, um, what do I still lack? He says, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go and sell your, your belongings and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So what do we see? We see somebody who comes to Jesus he seems to be looking for more of God. He's been a, a, a devout Jew, you know, worshiping the one true God in the way that has been revealed to him up to that point. Um, and he's coming to Jesus, this, this teacher of great authority, who people are like, this guy knows what really fellowship and friendship with God is like. like people, he's got this reputation. He comes up to you and says, okay, I, I'm hungry for more, and so I'm going to seek Jesus out. He comes up to you, Jesus, and he says, what must I do? To have eternal life you know to to he's not talking about like go to heaven when i die that wasn't really the way jewish people thought it's like what must i do to have this heavenly kind of life this life of fellowship with god this life that is eternal that exists in the heavens that's like a partnership with god and what jesus does what does jesus tell me says you obey the commandments and jesus and the man says yep 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 100 percent. life of discipleship you got to start with that Been doing that all my life. Been doing it since for a long time. I've definitely been a disciple. I've been engaging my will to choose a course of action that is consistent with loving God. Good. Jesus doesn't say, stop doing that. Jesus says, thumbs up. Good choice. That's where you've got, that's gotten you this far. That's good. He's done the work. He's recognized God. He's obeyed the commandments. He's been busy for Jesus. Not for, sorry. He's been busy for the Lord. This is, yeah. it's hard to teach these passages that are kind of between us, right? You get busy for Jesus. This man was busy for the Lord. He didn't quite know that Jesus was the Messiah yet. He'll figure it out eventually. That's my that's my guess. Okay, so he's he's busy for the Lord. He's he's active, um, but he is wondering. Oh, there's got to be more. He's recognizing there's got to be more because he feels man that there is. He has this feeling of frustration, and this feeling of frustration has led him to Jesus. And he's like just just really wants to know what Jesus is telling him to do. How do I go deeper? How do I know the Lord more? How do I take these steps? Because because I, I think I'm doing all the right things, but I know there's something not quite right. I believe that there's more, and Jesus leads him right into the wall. Jesus says, this is where you need to go. And he puts this wall, he puts them right in front of the wall. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings, give them to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. This guy looks at this wall. He feels like it's an impossible choice. And then what does it say? He he, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now look, this probably isn't your wall. The thing about walls is like they, they come up in a lot of different ways. I'm not saying application, go sell all your, sell all your things and, and give them to the poor because Jesus only said this to this one guy, by the way. <laughs> all right. A lot of people came up and asked Jesus, What can I do? And Jesus gave them an answer for what they particularly could do. So don't just like cut and paste this and try to just live your life this way. But understand this Jesus was leading this guy right to a wall. Like, look, like the shape of the story. Applies to you. The shape of the story applies to you. A person has moved through these early stages of seeking God. They've been discipled. They're doing the stuff. They're doing the things they know how to do. They're looking for more. And on that road towards more, they just bump up into this hard place, this difficult thing. They don't know how to get through it. This man hears what Jesus asks him to do, and he just he hits the wall and he goes away sad. And it's not, I really like, I really love this man. This man has helped me through many difficult times. This man is not greedy, I don't think, or I don't think he's selfish, and I don't think he's some kind of a villain. He's just like me, and he's just like you. He's being a really normal person. Because think about what Jesus is asking him to do. Jesus isn't saying, just give away your money. I mean, that's on the surface level what seems like the request is. He's really asking him, Jesus is really asking him to give away everything that up to this point has made him who he is. All his ideas about who he is and what his life is supposed to be about, affirmed by his community and his family and his own self-conception. And Jesus just says, that's the thing I want you to give away. That's, That's a lot more than just being greedy. Like that, the, the, the block, the thing that is, is in the, this guy's way is, is much more than just like, oh, you just didn't want to you know, pay the price for Jesus. You just got to hype yourself up a little bit more because Jesus isn't really care- about the, isn't interested in the money. Like, like God has all the money he wants. Got the cattle on a thousand hills. What he wants is this man's life. He wants his heart. He wants his identity. He wants all these things that are tied up in this guy's um, wealth and his sense of who he thinks he is. And it's totally consistent with Jesus, right? We talked about Matthew 16 24 and 25. Jesus says to his disciples, He says to us now, if we're his disciples, He said to his disciples then, He said to this man at the well, If anyone wishes to come after me, not the man at the well, man at the wall. Woman at the well, man at the wall, got it. Uh, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This guy's like, okay, I'm doing the things, I'm following the things, and we think following Jesus is just 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 living this one stage one, two, three kind of life, you know, getting busy for Jesus, being disciple to Jesus, recognizing who Jesus is. We're growing, growing to this point, but then we hear this second sentence: whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake will find it. When we come to walls, they feel like death. They feel like we're asking to go into something impossible. Walls feel like crises. They feel like impossible choices. I mean, this guy had an impossible choice before him, or at least it felt like it. They feel like frustration, that God is asking us to do something that we can't possibly do. And maybe it is that. Like, maybe it is something that you don't, in your strength, have, 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 have the ability to do. That's a wall. That's a great place to be. This man... Certainly could have made the choice. He had all the power to make the choice, right? But he's confronting something that he doesn't know how to deal with. His whole identity tied up into his wealth and his obligation to family and his sense of who he was and his place in society. Walls, though, are invitations to die to ourselves. And it's like, it's, it's more than just... Um, This early stage stuff, we're like, yes, I'm gonna make serious choices for Jesus. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hardcore about following Jesus. Like I did that so many times. How many times did I choose to be hardcore? And then I went soft, right? (laughs) And then, you know, like over and over and over again, we do this. Like at some point, you realize Jesus is, is, is maturing us by confronting our inner lives, and we get to a point, if we want to be people of love. Fully surrendered, like fully mature, where we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the very core things that make us tick. Dying to yourself doesn't mean you stop being you. It means that you have to deal with and put away and replace some of the ideas, powerful ideas that are at your core of how you think about the most intimate and important parts of your life. And there's no other way to change these things. No amount of knowledge, right? Because I know how I should think, and I know how I do think. And those things have always been separate. No matter how much I think, I can't replace some ideas about what I think in my inner life, except by an intervention of God. And there are, I think, as we die to ourselves, and we're going to talk about each of these three things over the next uh, this week and then the two weeks following we die to ourselves we deal with our ideas these core ideas that need to be dealt with on three levels first our ideas about god our ideas about others and then our ideas about ourselves these are just things that are just like simply at the heart of who you are we, we think ideas like oh something so fleeting right ideas just concepts like like i mean we can think all sorts of things i can create an idea right now there i did I'm thinking of yellow. I was about to say bananas, but that's not thinking of anything. It's something as mundane and stupid as that, right? I create ideas. But we have to understand, like, like ideas are powerful in our lives. They really will impact the choices we make and, and what we think is safe and good and right, what we think is gonna make for our peace and our joy and our happiness. Ideas matter so much. And our ideas about God like what we owe him and what he gives us and how he feels about us and who he is and what his character is like, these are essential. These they matter so much. And I can think, I can study scripture, I can think the right thoughts about God, but I understand, I've lived long enough and tried to follow Jesus long enough that though I think all the right things in my heart, I'm hiding some things about my views of him and I don't trust him the way I should. Because at the heart, I've got some ideas about who he is that aren't right. I, like I, I can think about other people, right? I mean, we're called to love God. We're called to love others. Like, the truth is that um, I think every a lot of us are hung up on this. I was kind of talking last week about how kind of we're um, a church that most of us, many of us, are in the middle. They're kind of this in this middle age where we're like, okay, I'm gonna serve people, and yet we also Feel exhausted all the time. <laughs> Anyone else? Like, I'm going to go out and do the things, and I'm going to feed the poor, and I'm going to take care of all the people who are in need. And then you're just like, but I just want to take a nap. And at the heart of that is like, man, we have some ideas. We, like, we have two irreconcilable things, the call to serve and the call to rest. How do you reconcile those things? On the other side of the wall, those things get reconciled, and it's by dealing with some ideas that you have about yourself, and what you need, and what you want, and what you're for, what you deserve, what other people deserve, good or bad, <laughs> vengeance maybe, right? You've got to deal with some stuff, and the Lord needs to deal with some stuff, and then you have some ideas about yourself. You just think of, you're the type of person that does X or Y. like You are locked into, and I'll talk about it next week, but like imaginative gridlock. You ever been in? Traffic, gridlock, can't go forward, can't go backward, can't go to the side, can't go anywhere. Until some things move, nothing can change. The ideas that we have about ourselves and about God and about others, they form this like gridlock where we can't move forward, we can't move backward unless we start to deal with these things. And that's what God does at these walls. Um, we're going to explore these, uh, these uh, different things. But this idea about God is kind of where we're going to spend the rest of our time, which is slowly or no very quickly uh passing and i'm gonna wrap it up here really quick if you have a malformed idea about god that is a wrong idea about god who he is progressing in love and faith and hope right these things that we know are going to be the inertia that drives us down the road to maturity if you don't have the right ideas about God, you, it, it, will, it will be an impossible scenario because you'll be working against your own self. And um, if, like, you, you choose, you want to choose to love God, you want to choose uh, the right things, like, you can, in your will, you can choose to trust. Like, like this is the thing. You, you ever get in the scenario where, where you're having a difficult time, maybe you're having some doubt. Maybe you're having um, some um, fear or anxiety in your life. And the people around you give you really good advice, which is just trust the Lord. That's, that's the right advice. Just have faith. The problem with that advice is that you don't. <laughs> you've tried. You've, in your will, you've, you've faithed it up all the time. I, I'm going to, within my will, within my willpower, I'm going to throw it all at having more faith. I'm going to tackle doubt by having more faith. I'm going to have more trust. But we don't. So then you end up playing this game where you know you're called to something, and you know you're capable to a degree in your will of choosing something, and you are, and that's good, and that's a road to the step of maturity, but you have something really deep and more fundamental that is stopping that from progressing. Uh, as I was driving over here, I thought of this analogy Uh, It's like a train, okay? Faith, hope, and love, that's the engine of the train. It keeps going, and we can fuel those things, right? We can be an old, you know, (laughs) like the old-timey trains where you're actually shoveling in the coal, and it's heating things up, and it's going faster and faster, and you can do that with your own will. You can put your back into faith, hope, love. You can do the work. You can choose Jesus, and it's great, and it's good. But let me tell you, you'll get to this point in the wall where you realize there's a break in the track. You can go as fast as you want. You are not going to jump over where the rails are gone. And that's what Jesus needs to deal with in the walls. You have some ideas about who God is and what he's like, and you need to repair them so that you can go on to a life of love. Throwing more faith and trust at it isn't going to repair the broken tracks. Going faster, throwing, putting more steam in the engine isn't going to do it. You have to go before the Lord and sit at this wall and say, God, what is it that I think about you that is wrong? What, in what ways like, am I just don't have the infrastructure to keep going on in faith? And th- that is a blessed time because God recognizes, yet yeah, you are called to more. And I can repair it. And you can keep shoveling this coal in and going faster, and it's going to be good. But you need to repair first. And the walls are like the signal man saying, stop. The track is out up here. You need to slow down. Because just saying, I'm going to choose faith more and trust more. Like, yes, but just hang on. Fix the track first. Something in you is going to lead you to a train wreck, unless it gets dealt with. Look, I think it's clear in the text that this man, the rich young ruler, right? He came to Jesus. He asked him, how do I have eternal life? I think it's pretty clear he was hitting a wall. And the primary issue, I think, is how he thinks about who God is. It's this first level of his thoughts towards God the deficiency that he's having in moving forward, the reason that he walks away sad is because he just doesn't have the right idea about who God is. I, I think that because of how Jesus starts out the, the interaction, right? The man comes to him, and he says, Teacher, um, you know, how, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus responds this way. He says, Well, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. A lot of times in, in in the gospels, especially, like Jesus will leave some little little goose eggs, right? Of like the meaning of, of the passage, but it's missed by the people in it. Jesus is saying, You're a guy who doesn't know how good God is. And so when I ask you to come, lay down your life, give away your stuff, put your identity on the altar. You're not gonna do that until you recognize there's only one who's good. And he's the Lord. And it's not just like, oh, good. I mean, yeah, he didn't he didn't strike me dead. That's good. (laughs) Right? That's nice. I mean, it's nice that God doesn't strike us dead or send lightning bolts, or he's like not like a Greek God, right? But in God's character in scripture, what we see is that He's He's more than just good in that way. He is just good, He's gracious. He's kind. He's patient. His love is inexhaustible. It's his very nature of who he is. He is love. I told him First John, and I might be able to affirm. And I think I think this guy would have said, "Jesus, said, there's only one who, who's good," and he would have said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Let's <laughs> listen. I know some things about God. I've uh, I've been following after God for a long time." But does he really believe that God is good enough to care for his needs? That's a deeper question. Is he that good? Does God, is he good enough to ensure my safety, the safety of my family and the people who depend upon me? Is he good enough to walk with me through, like, crisis? How good is God? I think that's the question he's asking. Does God really mean, when when, when we think of God being good, does that really mean that he's really going to take care of me? Is he really? Or am I just kind of having to be the lead and he can just handle the, the really bad stuff? Or is it the other way around? Does he care about me so much that even if I were poor and I had nothing like 90% of the people in Israel at this time, right, who are just beggars and lepers and and just like field laborers who just have to work if they want to eat. Does God care for me enough if I were to be just like them? Would he see me? Would he provide for me? Is he that good? You know, we, we, we come, um, worship team can come up now. We, we come to the gospel, right? And the gospel is euangelion is, is the Greek word, um, the evangel, eu, meaning good, angelion, the message, good message, good news, right? And we, we hear about how Jesus loves us, right, in the stage one. We hear about what the gospel is, and the gospel is, I was an enemy with God. And he demonstrates his love for me while I'm still a sinner, while I'm still against him, while I have no interest whatsoever in him. He demonstrates his love for me by dying on a cross for my sake to take away my sin and to invite me into a relationship of love with him where I can just grow and trust him more and more. And when you come into stage one and you think, I got it. I heard the good news. It's really good. It's way better than I thought it was going to be, right? And then you grow up and you grow into maturity and you're like, "You know what? I, you know, I like to, you know, party, but I think I'm going to like Jesus more." And so you make some choices and you go in and you, you 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 straighten your life up a little bit and you find out, "You know what? It's good. It's good. This is way better than being hung over all the time. You know, this is way better than all the other things that I were pursuing. This is good. Good. Thumbs up. Ten, five stars, recommend, highly. Go on Yelp, review, review Jesus, five stars. He's great. And it's good, it's good, it's great. And then you go into this life of service, and you're like, oh, I get involved in the church, and I get to do something, and my life has purpose again, I get to tell people about Jesus, and it's good, you're busy for Jesus, it's good. And then you get to this point, and you're just like, I really know that he's good, but he's asking me to die to myself. He's asking me to lay some things down that are so important to me that have served me so well for so long and made me who I am. And he's really asking me to just lay things down. And I don't know if he's that good. He was good here. He was good here. He was good here. I don't know if he's going to be good consistently. And look it, the thing is, I can't give you the three steps to think the right thoughts about God, right? I wish I could. I wish I could give you just the, here's your application, walk away. But I'll just tell you this. um, Walls are a place for kneeling. You're going to come... Into these points of frustration where you're like, all right, Lord, I want to become a person of love. I want to go and really believe and confront these ideas that I have about who you are, and I I know the things I should believe about you, but there's something within me like there's a there's a contrary idea that needs to go, and I don't know how to deal with it. And these walls are occasions where God can just do the work. And we could walk away in frustration. We could try to punch our way through the wall, which isn't going to work. We're just going to end up with bloody knuckles. We could be angry at the wall and angry at God. We could walk away from church. We could walk away from everything. We could be, be angry at the people who caused the wall. But in the end, actually, these are things that God is just like, they're just happening, and I can, I can grow through these things. What we need to do when we get to these walls is we just need to kneel before the Lord you can't go forward. You don't want to go backward. You just need to pause, and you need to wait on God to do some things. Um, and I, I wish that were um, an easy thing to do. I wish that were um, something that felt uh, more exciting, more, more hopeful. But here's the thing is, like, we serve a God who, on the, who, who like, brings people to life, and the Lord is going to bring us life and hope he's going to restore the things that are broken within us as we just sit with him at these walls. We're going to talk more, there's going to be more practical things in in the next couple weeks, but there's, for for things about my ideas of God, we just have to bow before him and come just as we are with all of our inability to fix what's broken within us and just say, Lord, Lord, I believe that it's you who can restore my soul. I believe it's you who can repair what's broken. I believe it's you who can take away these false ideas that I'm not even aware of what they are, but you can, through the occasions that are coming up at the wall, you can confront these things and you can replace them. And instead of fighting that and being angry about that or just like walking away from that, like we can just bow before the Lord and just just worship in those times. How impractical. I think that's what's frustrating about these walls, is that up to stage one, two, three, we can just make choices. I can make choices. I make the harder choice. I make the harder choice. I make the harder choice. But actually, you get to this point where you're just like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to choose anymore. I don't know what's wrong with me. And so all you can do is sit before the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm just so empty. I'm so broken. It's you who can carry me through. Um, I was at a conference last weekend, and and the speaker said... uh, just something that just has stuck with me. He said, principle of the kingdom is that whatever you have, it's enough. And that's not true because you can just make do. You can put yourself on starvation rations with what you have. It's true because when we come to God and we just say, Lord, I'm throwing myself entirely upon you. I am at the end of my ability. He always meets us in that place. And so kneeling in front of a wall is the best I can offer to you, and it is good because God will minister to us in those places. He cares about you. He doesn't look at your suffering or your pain or your frustration and think, ah, you'll be fine. I'm busy. I'm up here making some mountains, you know. God sees you and He cares about you, and He knows that through this process of just waiting and seeking Him, He's going to, maybe slowly and probably a little bit painfully, because it's death, He's going to bring resurrection, and it's going to be good. And so, I just want to stand up uh, together for a second. Because all that's all that we can do is we can just come to God who supplies what we need when we don't have the ability to bring it for ourselves. And we can just ask him. And so that's what I want to do together. As we set out and we're going to think about breaking through some of these walls and particularly in this wall of just um, understanding who God is, I just want to pray together. And so as you guys join me, I'm just going to—Holy uh, Spirit— um, you you convict us of sin, righteousness, judgment. You tell us who you are. You remind us. You remind us, you say in John 15, of all the things that you've spoken to us, Lord. And we are so easy to forget. And not only just like easy to forget, like we have other ideas about who you are that are just wrong. And so we kneel before you, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, God. What else can we do but come empty-handed and we rest in front of these walls and we say, Lord, would you meet us wherever we're at? Lord, would you teach us to be people who can sit before you, Lord, who have the, don't have the strength to do more, but the patience to wait upon you. Lord, if there's something, if there's something that's in the way of my faith, hope, and love, And if it's something about, it's just like some wrong idea I have about you, Lord, would you just come and uh, correct that, Lord? take away what's broken, repair and mend what I need repair for. God, we rely upon you. You are so good, God. You are gracious and you're kind. We've known it. We've seen it. We've seen your five-star reviews all throughout our life, and we see what you've done in other people. And God, we want to believe that you'll do those things for us. And so we come before whatever the things are that we are struggling with, and we, we just worship you in those places. So God, even in this moment as we as we worship together, God, would you be present with us? Would you be present here among your people? Yeah, let's just let's keep uh let's let's, let's worship together and, and just just seek the Lord. Ask him, you know, just talk to God. God, God wants to talk to you. He, he likes you that much. Yeah.